Every victory is yours, Lord Jesus. All authority is yours. And because of that, we can talk about hope today. Not, not just an empty dream, not just a fantasy. But the word for hope literally means, whether you define it in Webster's or you define it in a Bible dictionary, hope has two parts. Expectation and a wish. The wish may come first and then tied to the expectation. It's a dream, it's a longing, it's a hope, but it's also tied to an expectation that somehow, someway, sometime, I'm going to see what I've been wishing for happen. Today we're talking about hope. This is part two. Hope in the one you love. <laughs> hope in the one you love. And, you know, we survived this week. You know, well, basically, sort of, we yeah, did. Yeah. We, we need to uh, greet those that are watching us via the live feed on Facebook, which included last week all three of our married children and their spouses. And there was this text storm going on as we were speaking between them. And uh, one of them, I quote, said that, I think mom's gentle and quiet spirit is seasonal. That would be in mid, from mid-July to mid-August in Montana. <laughs> It's trying to provide a little light entertainment for our grown children on Sunday morning. I, Katie and Adam were in Santa Monica, and Evan and Aaron in Pleasanton, and then Abby and Ryan were here in town. And, you know, they were all skipping church is what they were doing, basically. They were tuning in and, and talking back and forth. Abby came over and showed us what they were saying while we were talking. So, so at our expense, they had a great yeah. Sunday morning. They said it was what they never got to do when they were growing up in church. And they, yeah. They yeah. One, one time right over here on about the fifth row back right there, what, what was that? Somebody had given Evan a tape measure to play with. No, it was on the front row. Front row. Front and row. you were preaching on... <laughs> Uh, Eli's wicked son. <laughs> Hophni and, and Phineas. He's taking that tape measure and he's pulling out this far and, you know, it'd go and back in and make a little noise. Well, yeah. the last time he did it, he pulled out farther and it hit and then it zoomed. Oh, and he went, and I grabbed him and went, don't move. Just, <laughs> he was about four years old here on the front. I, you know, they, they grew up around here and love this place. Um, but they also have a kind of a, a real view of their, their mom and dad, and we, we, we just, we love them and appreciate them, and glad that they were tuned in. Now today we wanna to come back in kind of where we left off last week. Um, but here's, I wanna, we need to say this at the beginning. This, this, this is not an attempt to try to um, make anybody, husband or wife, uh, feel, feel lousy, um, defeated, um, co condemned because of the way things may be going uh, in your marriage right now. The, the point is hope, and, and um, we, we, will, we will tell some of our own story as we go through this because we just feel like it's important for, for the, you know, the failure part or the struggle part to be included in the scriptural account of things. God, one of the reasons we know God can do anything and God can do anything in a marriage is because he's, he's taken ones like us who have really struggled at some, some very deep points. I mean, literally where we were just having to decide whether we, we wanted to continue on in a life together. And um, uh, the, the Lord met us right there. You know, we, we didn't have to go off and find him some other place. We just began to say, Lord, we, we need you. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to make this work. We had three kids. I was pastoring this church. You know, we weren't, we weren't being unfaithful to each other. It was just things had just gotten to a place where we were just really, really struggling. And the Lord met us at that place. He met us at that place. Not after we got through it, then we found him. But he met us at that at that place. Fair uh, enough. Amen. Amen. Okay, so you you want to jump in somewhere? Well, I thought that one of the places in our lives, and then I know in other places, in in other married lives, where there's real struggle and it's not talked about very much, is addictions. And you Addiction. are addictions. Addiction. Yeah, okay. you're looking at a very addictive personality. In fact, I thought about bringing with me this morning. I have this wool blanket that was mine when I was you know, three, four, and five. And it, I found it at my mom's house the last time I went home and I was shocked no one else had taken it because to me it was like one of the best things in the whole house. 
And what was so great about this wool blanket is you could pull the fuzz off and I could roll it into a ball with this hand while I was sucking, you know, actually with you all out there. This is kind of a nice, nice place to be. But anyway, it was, it was my first taste of what an addiction could feel like in numbing the stuff that you didn't want to have to deal with. Um, as a young married pastor's wife, I, I came into marriage really struggling with overeating and my weight, but that blew into a full order eating disorder after we got married. And the way it went for me in a lot of ways was that, uh, you know, I married a minister of the gospel, a third generation pastor, a man who knew the word of God backwards and forwards. And I didn't come from that place. And so when we would have a disagreement, and maybe I wouldn't see it the way he did, I just assumed he was right. But I didn't have, what was I going to do? You know, so I just went to the kitchen and found something to eat. And, and so I would go and overeat instead of dealing with this, whatever was wrong here. And the main thing about addiction, addictive personalities is that we have a struggle communicating. And so what we do instead of communicating is we numb it with whatever it is that we are, you know, we go to to numb. And so that was what uh, I would do during those times. But do you want to throw in anything at this point? I'm listening. There's some scripture that's speaking specifically about alcohol, but would you read that for us? Yeah, the, the Proverbs, the, the Proverbs 31. 31. This is Proverbs 31, uh, 4, verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to desire strong drink, lest they drink and forget what is decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. So even the scripture will describe what people do with an addiction just so clearly that it's a place where we go to, to try to cope, but really it's an escape place. It's a place to numb out, to forget the things that are bothering us. A lot, uh, I think that um, Chris Stapleton says, I drink because I'm lonely and I'm lonely so I drink. It's that cycle of I'm, I'm going to this thing and it's really not helping my life. And it, it, can, it doesn't have to be drink and it doesn't have to be drugs and it doesn't have to be a bulimia. It can be something as, as simple or it can be shopping. Uh, it can be... Okay, we've got a problem with our sound. Is it hers or mine? What do you say? Oh. Oh, yours is off. Yours is on, not on your ear. I was talking so Sometimes. loud I heard myself. <laughs> Sorry about that. My fault. My fault. Excuse me. Quite all right. What were you saying? Do you remember? I was just saying that I need a drink. <laughs> <laughs> you were not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Great, Scott. Anyway, where's the hook? Where, where's the hook? <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, the Lord says, My, my people have, have um, committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that is such a picture of what addictions do. We don't go to the fountain of living waters, but we've hewn for ourselves a cistern that we think is going to keep the water of life for us. And yet the scripture says it's a broken cistern that can hold no water. So just about as quickly as we pour something into it, it's leaked out and we have to pour more. That's what makes it so amazing in, in the Gospels when Jesus addresses the woman at the well um, in John because she, he he's asked her, he says, if you knew she who was asking you for a drink, you would ask of me, and I would give you rivers of living water. He speaks to her first about the living water that is hers for the asking, but then he addresses the empty cistern, the broken cisterns in her life, as he says to her, you know, go call your husband, and she says, I don't have a husband, 
And Jesus says, you're speaking right. You know, you've had several husbands and the guy you're living with right now, he's not your husband. So you see in her this addictive pattern, if I can just have the right man, my life will be okay. So for a, a person with an addiction, the, the things that we see about them, first of all, is that they're handicapped to communicate. When we talk about marriage and we talk about the importance of communication, we talk about it so many times without addressing the fact that, that at least a third to 20% of the people in a room from the statistics in, in the nation is a handicapped person when it comes to communicating. They have an addiction. They have a place they're going to um, that, that numbs them from having to be driven into the place of talking to, to the person, the one they love. And so they're, they're pulling away from that. So it's much more difficult for that person to communicate than for that. The okay, so person. can there be other addictions besides substance abuse? Absolutely. Okay. Shopping could be an addiction. Hunting could be an addiction. Right. <laughs> true, true. Okay, how about kids? Can children be an addiction? And over-involvement in other people, I guess, could be looked at but as you, an addiction. You're going, going there somewhere. It, it, it's the, it, again, I thought that was, that's right. It, it's where you go to numb whatever the pain may be, whatever the issue is that you don't And it really may not even with. be pain. Sometimes it's, it's joy, but to, to take the edge off in some way. Um, secondly, another thing that's true of a person that's addictive, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 through 23, um, it, there's a list of woes, like woe to the one who calls what is bitter sweet and what is sweet bitter, and what is evil good and what is good evil. Uh, that's one of the woes. And that is true for an addict. We look at something and we say, this is what I need, and yet it's the worst thing for us. Um, and then it goes on in those woes, and it says that, uh, it says, woe to the one who is wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Basically, an addiction is something we've chosen to say, this is going to give me what I need. And we've decided that's the way to live. And so we are clever in our own eyes and wise in our own sight. It may have been, you know, a rough marriage, uh, argumentative spouse, uh, unresponsive spouse that pushed us to that place. But we made the decision, this is what's going to fix me or help me or help me make it through the night, as the song says, rather than going to the Lord in that place. And so another thing that's true about an addict is that we're usually in denial. We think... It, what do we say? It's only hurting me. Nobody else knows about it, so is it hurting anybody else? It's not a big deal. I can quit anytime I want to. And so one of the struggles for the addictive personality is to break out of that place of denial and to come into the light. To come into the light and realize that what I'm choosing to do is killing, it's, it's, it's destroying me, but it's killing my marriage. It's killing my marriage. You can't continue to cope with life in addictive ways and expect that you're ever going to have good communication here. Mm -hmm. Because every time you go here, you're not going here. And, and sometimes it's really, you know, if I have the choice between a brownie and a, a, a pouty spouse, I'm probably going to choose the brownie if, 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 if I don't allow the Lord to show me that ultimately... Sowing mm. here is going to cause me to reap good things. Mm. So, do you have something you want to add? Are you looking at me because of, of the brownies? I don't know. So, so, uh, pouty spouse, she looks at me, or the brownie. You know, <laughs> that, that's, that's, that can happen. So then what happens? What's the hope for that addictive personality? And what I would say is that there's a difference between remorse and repentance. Hmm. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17, speaking of Esau, it's, this is such a true phrase from the scripture because it, it's talking about Esau. He sold his birthright for a single meal. He was just looking at food instead of looking at who he was and his significance. And it says that he found no opportunity for repentance, although he sought the blessing of repentance with tears. 
There was a lot of crying and there was a lot of remorse in Esau, as there is in a lot of us when we choose to, to live in an unhealthy way and follow an addiction. We can just feel like we are the worst person in the world and there can be a lot of crying and remorse. But being, having that kind of a broken heart is not the same as having brokenness. And neither is feeling great remorse the same as repentance. The word for repentance means a change of mind and heart. It's a turning away and saying, this thing isn't going to ever bring me life. It's, it's, it is a big deal, would be a, a change. Instead of saying it's not a big deal, it's not hurting anybody, to be able to say, this is killing my marriage, and it is a big deal. We're afraid to go to the place of brokenness as, a, as an addict because what we've chosen is to be clever in our own eyes. Instead of being broken before the Lord and saying, I am bankrupt, unless you do it, it won't happen. When we're still in the place of remorse and, and feeling sorry for ourselves and feeling bad about ourselves for our addiction and feeling, yes, we feel trapped and chained, but at the same time, we, we don't see any way out because we're only looking at our resources in here instead of looking to the Lord. We keep thinking it's about us in order to change rather than when true brokenness comes, we quit looking here for the good or the bad, and we turn completely, and we look to the Lord and say, unless you change me, God, I will not change. And my actions are killing my marriage, and they're destroying me, and, and they're, destroying, they're keeping me from you, the river of living water. And so there's that need to go from just being broken and messed up to brokenness, mm -hmm. which says, Jesus, mm -hmm. unless you do this, I will stay here forever. Mm -hmm. Because so what if, what if the one that you would be, you'd put in the category of, of the addict who is not at all seeing himself or seeing herself as an addict, the only issue that he or she would see is that the one I love sees this as a problem. They have a problem. I don't have a problem with it. So then I've got to decide, am I going to make a choice on the basis of what is affecting this one and according to him or her, destroying our marriage? Or do I just continue to go the way I'm going because I'm fine with it? Can That's you respond to that? That's the most perfect segue into part two of, of the hope for the marriage when there's an addiction involved. And that's when, and that's the other person, the, not the addict, but the other person. And statistics say for every alcoholic, there are four codependents that have to support him to keep his lifestyle going. Four, four other people have to keep him. It takes a village for an addict to be able to make it. Mm -hmm. And that's the person that calls in and says, he can't come to work today, he's got the flu when he really has a hangover. Or um, goes and gets money, borrows money from mom to be able to, to uh, pay our bills this month because she overshopped again. It's the, it's the codependent is the one that is basically keeping the addict from having to feel the weight of his consequences. So for him the, or her, the addict, they do look at that other person and say, they're the one with the problem, I don't have a problem. And the reason they're the one with the problem is because they keep cleaning up the, the mess mm -hmm. instead of allowing the person that's making these choices to have to feel, feel the consequences of them. There's a scripture out of Proverbs that speaks to this with regards to anger. And it says, Proverbs 19, 19, a hot-tempered man must pay the penalty. If you rescue him or her, you will have to do it again. Hmm. In other words, the addict must pay the penalty. If they don't pay the penalty and you keep paying it for them, you're gonna have to keep paying it for them and keep paying it for them. It's not until they feel the weight of their actions that there's going to be change on their part. Mm. You know, there's another um, verse in Proverbs that's uh, Proverbs 27, 17, which says, iron sharpens iron. So one man, and I love one translation says it, sharpens another man's character. Mm. Now, early marriage, I thought, I took that verse and I embraced it like iron sharpens iron. That means I need to be hard in order to sharpen this hard head. You know, we already told you last week we're both hard heads, but, but I thought it was my job to, sh to sharpen him. I think that I had it completely wrong. It was like the picture of a person taking a knife and trying to sharpen 
this wedding stone. It's not that any of us are intentionally sharpening somebody else. It is that they are sharpening us if we'll allow the Lord to do that mm. in our lives with them. Mm. That, that what they do, for a codependent, it's important that we quit rescuing the person. We have to change in order for there to be change there because they won't feel the consequences of what they're doing until we quit rescuing them from that position. You may be saying, oh, but if I didn't cover for him, he'd lose his job and we couldn't, you know, we couldn't feed the kids and we couldn't do, we have a million reasons why we keep stepping in and intervening on the behalf of our spouse's irresponsible behavior. But it's only when we are broken before the Lord and able to say, okay, I'm gonna quit doing this, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, and allow the other spouse to feel the consequences of their actions, that there's a chance that they may change. Oh, so that's the hope. Give yes. us, what's the hope in that? You're, you're but, feeling, you're, you're, you're the one feeling that there is, there is an addiction here. It may not be substance, it may not be illegal, it, may not, it can be a purely psychological, emotional kind of thing, but it, it, it is, it's, it's something that that one obviously can't stop, can't control, it controls him or her. You're married to that. Where's the hope? The hope is that the, it, realizing nothing is going to change if nothing changes. You can't change them. The scripture, the, not the scripture, but my mother quoted this to me many a time uh, from Alcoholics Anonymous, the serenity prayer, God grant me the serenity, which means clear mind, to accept the things I cannot change change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm. That, that we, the hope is that you're not going to be able to change your spouse, no matter how much you scream or pout or threaten, you can't change them. The only person you can change is you. And the place you start is that you start saying, I'm not going to, where you have been um, covering for them, where you have been not allowing them to feel the consequences of what they're doing. You stop doing that and you allow them to, to feel the consequences. We, there was no big, there was, I had a, a eating addiction, a disorder, addiction, whatever. David would, was, could be moody. He could be really moody and he could get angry and he could pout like, not just like a little while, he could pout for a while, sorry, but I'm telling it. What it, and because I came from a house where there was a lot of anger, my father was a real angry man, anger just unravels me. And so if he, I could tell he was really angry, it would unravel me. And, and then we would get round and round and I'd be, we'd get in a fight that could go on and on as well. Mm -hmm. And so it, it made, I had to realize I can't, if, I can't change him. There's going to be some days when he's going to be moody. He's bent that way. I can't allow that to make me get into the bad cycle that we were into. Mm -hmm. So as I quit doing that, there were a couple times at first where he'd walk in and out of the room thinking, you know, he'd go and sit down in front of me and be pouty, and when it, there wouldn't be a reaction from me, then he'd leave. Then, and, and then he I'd was, try it again. I'd come back and just kind of let her. <laughs> it was not working. It, it, she, got, she just developed the ability to just check out. And I would have Not to deal out, with that. But, well, but it would, as far as engaging did, me, yeah. get, you weren't getting off in the hole with me, yeah, okay? Right, yeah. And she said, and, and she would say, I, I can, you know, I can tell you I love you. I can, I can throw you a, a, a life jacket, but I'm not getting off in your junk. And again, I'm, gonna, I'm not going there with you. And I'm, I love you and I pray for you and I'll see you on the other side, but I'm not going there. Freak me out. I mean, my whole, I don't know what to do. I thought, you know, if I'm miserable, I want the whole world to be miserable. You know, you know how that is? If, if, I'm, if, if, it's, if it's a bad looking die, I want everybody to know how bad it is. But what that did, when she stopped enabling that, it forced me to realize, you know, there is another way to live than to just let emotions rule. And, and I, couldn't, I couldn't bring her there. And it helped. It, 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 it helped. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's our, our analogy, but it, um, Okay, the, the, the point of, of 
of being married to someone who's, who's about to lose your paper, um, who, is, who is in, in that place, and, and you see that, and you recognize that, that that's, that's, a, that's an issue, a, a part of the enabling can be a refusal to walk in the light with, with that to be able to say this, this is an issue, this is a, this is a situation, and I'm not gonna, I'm just, I'm not gonna play anymore like it's, like it's not an issue. It's, it is, it is an issue. You, when, when the Lord says that we have become one flesh, not, you're not gonna be a one flesh with your child, you'll never be able to be as close, according to the word, to your child biological offspring, as the Lord says, it is his desire for a husband and wife, completely different biological backgrounds, for them to be. Not the mother and the daughter or the dad and the son will become one flesh, but the two will leave father and mother and the two will become one flesh. Here's the, the, the many, many parts of impact of that, but one of the biggest one is what is going on in her whether she would want to admit it or not, what is going on in her affects me. What goes on in me affects her. Now that can be for the good, that can be very positive, that can be a lot of life, but it can also be this, this addictive thing. This, this, so so you, you need to stay single. <laughs> If, 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 you, if you think that, that, you know, that, that you can be an island unto yourself and, and you'll just deal with your own stuff, don't get married. Don't marry somebody like that. And we're trying to deal with one, we're already in a situation, we've got to figure out what to do now. But if you, if you still have a choice and, and your, di your idea is I'm not going to let anybody ever get that close to me, I'm not ever going to open myself up to someone else at the point of literally becoming a person with them, a new, a new entity, one flesh, because what, what will happen is that, that if, if I am aware that something that I'm doing or not doing is affecting her, I have an obligation as unto the Lord who gave us each other in marriage to, to, to keep coming to him with whatever I need to keep coming in order to fix this in me so I won't keep bruising her. I won't, keep, I won't keep hurting her. In, in Ephesians 5, Paul, Paul will say, husbands, you, you love your wives as Christ loved the church. But, but here, and he goes on to say, a man is to love his wife as he would love himself. Nobody is ever going to beat up their body or deprive their body, not cherish their body. That's how it's to be with a husband with regard to his wife, that, that she is to be nourished and she is to be cherished and understanding that, that, that what, what works in me is going to have a direct, a direct, a direct, a direct effect on her. If there is life and there is, there is strength coming out of me to her, then it's a good thing. But if it's the other, I have an obligation, I have a duty to stop it with the power of the Lord in the name of Jesus to quit it so I'm not bruising her, I'm not beating her up. Same thing with the, you know, we went through that deal where there was, there was fear. Remember, you were, you were struggling with, with fear and there would be things at times when, when you would be impacted by a situation and would, we would get into things because you were afraid of how something might, and, and, and that was directly affecting me, I'm, you from me, but then there have been many things me to you. And when we, when we got to realizing what it was doing to the other person, then, then, and, and realizing that, that in the sight of the Lord, he, he intends us to stand together, to be together. It would be like I, I can't, you know, I, I can't treat, if my left arm has got a bruise or, or, or a pulled muscle, I can't just ignore that. It's my other arm. If, if, if something that I'm doing is bruising and hurting and, and, and damaging her because we're one person, I I'm not supposed to ignore it because we're one person. We're, we're in the sight of the Lord, we're one person. Um, but even as that is true, and I agree with you at that, it's also true that we are two separate individuals. And so right. that's, you've got to have that view in order for when, if 
some one of you goes off on the hole, like in a moody place, that you yeah. don't have to go there with them. Right. So right, and that's the, that's the iron sharpening iron. That's also, um, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. That that and that's this that's this place of hope. God brings you into a union with somebody who's going to have eyes to see some things about you things going on, and as we talked about, it may be about the family background or the attitude toward things that are operating in my, en enables that one to see some things that you hadn't been able to see. And it's for the purpose of freedom. It's for the purpose of, yeah. of, of liberty and a future and a, and, a, and a new life, not having to be trapped with the generational attitudes that maybe your biological line has been known for. The, 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 the power of a marriage is a, a totally new entity is being created when a man and a woman are joined together in the sight of the Lord as husband and wife. Something that has never existed before begins then. And it is possible, and the Lord's heart is, where there, has been, there have been strengths from both family lines for those to flourish in the new union, but for the weaknesses and the negatives and the, 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 the sins of the fathers being passed on to the children of the third and fourth generation, for that to be broken. Because there's a new, there's a new unit. There, there's, a, there's a new family unit that has never existed before that from this point forever exists. And, and there's, there's the hope in that. God will use the person that you're married to if, if we will, and it can be the, one of the most terrifying places in the world to say, you know, to in discuss, is there anything you feel like you need to say to me about me? Is there anything, and, and it'll come up over time, the longer you're married, there'll be certain things that will be, that will be issues time and time again. God is allowing those things to come forth in order for them to be fixed. And for it to be fixed, it may not be that the solution is, your, is what you've chosen as the solution. It may be that there's something completely different from that, and your spouse has a heart for freedom, an idea of, 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 has seen the freedom, can look into that and see that's bondage, but you're calling that's all I've ever known, or that's how it's supposed to be, or what, what's going to happen if I don't do that, to which the spouse is, is able to say, there's, there's another way to look at that. We've got God on our side. We can trust the Lord with the things that we hadn't been able to fix together. You're, you're, you know, you're a dad. You're not God. You're a mom. You're not God. Let God be God. Get out of the way. Let God do what only God can do, and we trust him. Sometimes we need some folks, somebody who loves us and who understands our situation, and we can't, you know, we can't say, well, they don't know what's going on or they don't know the dynamics of the thing. They may not have the full history, but they see what it's doing to you. They can read the present. And God will give them insight to be able to say, there is another way to live, and it's freer than this. No. I just want to say at this point about this man, I'm so grateful for him and that he would let us bring our laundry in front of the congregation that he, he pastors. The, um, I know that it can seem like, oh, humility. If, if a, a husband shows humility, a wife's just going to pounce on that and beat him mm. to a pulp. But the the humility in my husband makes me want to be more humble. I, I, it, th there's something about seeing um, a man humble himself before the Lord uh, and even his spouse that just makes, and I see wives going like this. I mean, when you sense that humility in your husband, you just want to get under the carpet because it's, it's, it's such a holy, reverent thing. And I'm so grateful. At one point in our marriage, uh, you know, because I was so convinced that he needed fixing, I was like, we are going to a marriage counselor. I'm going alone or we're going together. Well, he, he didn't want me going by myself, so we, we went together. And, you know, I would love to have a video camera of the waiting room in marriage counseling places because I imagine we're just like any other couple that goes. You know, the first week... Both of us being good students, we're in there just trying to, you know, look like we're really a great, we're wanting this for our neighbor. You know, this isn't about us and da, da, da. You know, three or four weeks into it, we are on opposite ends of the couch. We aren't even looking at each other, you know. If one of us sneezed, nobody would even assist to get a Kleenex. It was just like that. But what, um, and I'm grateful because here he is, he's a pastor a prominent pastor in a city, 
And he could have said, no, we're going to have to go to Austin if we're going to do that, or I don't want people to know. But he was willing to go with me. And what I discovered there was that it wasn't him that needed fixing. It was me that needed mm. fixing and changing. I knew that all along. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, okay, here's, here's the part of that. Here's the part about that humility deal. And this, this, was, this was one of our, this was during one of our real, real difficult times. And, and things, would, things would come up and it would always kind of seem to come back to sort of the same deal. And, and I, would, I would say to her, but, but I've asked your forgiveness. I've, I've asked your forgiveness before. How come you keep bringing this up? Why do you keep wanting to rehearse the stuff again? I mean, I, if, if you, you know, you're holding my face in the mud. Why, why do you keep doing that? And, and here, this was, her, this was her statement. If you've repented, if you truly have repented, every time I bring up whatever that was, there'll be repentance in your heart all over again. That you won't have moved away from that. You, you'll, you'll repent. And, 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 and what she was seeing was that as long as I would bow up about something that she's reminding me of that I, hadn't, that, that I messed up in before, as, as long as I would bow up, about it and be try to de get defensive about it. The, what would trigger in her was he hadn't he hadn't learned yet. We're going to have to do this, go through this again. It'll just we'll just repeat this cycle again because here he is, defensive and big and all that. But the, 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 the Lord, when she said that, when you've repented, if you've really repented, every time the sin that I'm reminding you of or anybody else reminds you of, would come up, every time that comes up, then there will be the same place of brokenness and humility and sorrow for it every time it comes up. That, that was like a shaft of light to, to, my, to my heart that I, that, I hadn't, that I hadn't seen. And I thought, well, she's right. She is right. So from that point on, and it took a while to get there, but from that point on, Whenever she would bring something up, or we get in a fuss, you know how you're just pulling everything out, just everything you can think of to throw at it, you know, just, just, <laughs> just all the rounds, just kind of, uh, and so you're doing that, and, 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 and then, but when she would bring those things up that I supposedly had repented for, I, I, would, I would stop, and I would say, I started saying, I want to ask you all over again to please forgive me for what I did, what I said, the things that were involved in that. I was wrong then, and I'm wrong now. It will never be right. I will never justify it. And I ask you to forgive me all over again. And if I have to, if you need to bring, this is what we would talk, if you need to bring this up 300 times a day, then my answer to you and my response is gonna be the same. You are right, I was wrong. I ask you to forgive me for what I did. You know what happened? It wasn't long after that that she quit bringing those things up. And, and, and I, would, I would say, you know, why, why hasn't the, why has it been easier for you to let go of that? Why have, and she said, because, because I, I see some humility there. I, I see that you're, you're willing to be teachable. That, that we're not going to have to keep going around this mountain and getting hit again and hit again and hit again. You're, you're seeing it. You may not be able to fix it all, but you see it. And that's hope for me. That, that humility was translated to that. I, I didn't see it as humility. I just saw it as the reality of repentance. But if, if I've repented, then I, if I've got to repent over the same thing 5,000 times, it keeps being brought up, then then my answer is still the same. It was sin then, it's sin now. I ask you to forgive me. Now, that's one of the things when the enemy, and they, you know, you, you, your wife or your husband may be an accuser of the brethren to some extent, but the enemy will try that. So if they, when the enemy brings something about, about it, something that happened, some episode, some whatever, if, and that's just, then, the, then instead, of, instead of trying to duel with the devil and, and make me think, just say, you know, Wherever this is coming from, it was sin then. It's sin now. 
I've taken it to the cross of Jesus Christ and I've asked him to forgive me. And if you're reminding me of this again, I'm gonna just ask him another time, Lord, will you forgive me for what I have done? It was sin and I repent. There's just something that lifts when, 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 that, when that happens in the atmosphere of your heart. And, and, and some of this, you know, the thing about fussing over it was she was feeling like she was still having to try to get me to the place of realizing that what, what was sin was actually sin. But when, you, it, when you're admitting it's sin, then the pressure can be. I would it. say too, was it right that I brought it up that many times? Probably not. But I'm not God. I don't forgive as far as the East is from the West. I might be able to get to... Um, the Sealy? No, Sealy? no, I was going to say the access road in front oh, of the okay. freeway, maybe, okay. maybe, okay. if you, you know. But I, two things. One, yeah, I don't forgive that well. When trust has been violated in the heart, it gets rebuilt brick by brick. Mm. And so mm. when he would say that, there would be a little bit more trust. And then, then I think every wife in here would realize, and maybe I do think this, Sometimes we see the same thought pattern and behavior coming out. It's not that thing that was done in the past, but oh, it smells and looks and feels a lot like that right now. And so we're bringing it back up because we think that reminds, this is the same mm. thinking, thought process. I'm entitled to it. This is what I get. It's for me. It's whatever it is. And so that's why that I think sometimes that that can come up. And probably that's true both ways. But then the other thing I was going to throw in there, when you said that about repentance, there can be no repentance without the presence of Jesus. Uh, so when we really repent, we're coming into the presence mm -hmm. of Jesus, the one that can cle cleanse us, forgive us, and empower us. And that's always a joyful thing. Mm -hmm. That's why I can talk about being um, bulimic and, and eating and throwing up for years and there not be any shame in me because it's like a rejoicing. Look at the victory that God won there. Amen. I mean, just such Amen. an amazing victory. Yeah. And so when, when there's a place in our life that's a place of true repentance, it doesn't, even if it was gross and dark and dirty, it, there's victory there yeah. if there's been repentance. Amen. Amen. That's, that's, that is, that is, that is the truth. And, you know, this was during that struggle through the bulimic years, there was, there was suicidal thoughts and, uh, within her. And, and there's another whole dimension of how the Lord, you know, how, how the Lord just worked a work there. That was one chapter in our lives. And then we move into this other chapter where, where the Lord is just needing to do some things to set me free through some things that she was seeing in my life. But, you know, you, hu humility and hard heads <laughs> don't go together. A hard head may be humble in 98% of the rest of their lives, but in this particular area, I know what I believe. This is how it's gonna be. Don't anybody even dare to bring something up different than this. This is it, you're a hard head and pride rules. You, you own it. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when the Lord blesses us with somebody in our lives to come alongside us to help see that spot that we feel like we have got to defend to the death, but the Lord is bringing somebody who can speak truth. And there's, you don't have to live this, that, that way. There's, there's, there's freedom. There's, there's, there's a whole other part of you that, that isn't being able to be expressed because you're so bound right there. If I'm open to receiving it, if I'm open to receiving that shaft of light and I can begin to cry out like old Bartimaeus did, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Amen. Then there's the hope, folks. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what the place is in your life, in your heart. But if you will cry out, if you will just start crying out, Jesus, son of David, mercy me. It's not feel sorry for me, Jesus, or pity me, Jesus. It's do something for me tangibly, measurably within my heart to set me free. That I can't do for myself. That I can't do for myself. But if you never pray that because of the stupid hard-headedness, I know what I believe, this is how it is, and this is how it's got to be, and all this has happened in the past, and that's why I'm here. You will never utter the prayer that will set you free. 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and, and it may take somebody else to point that out, point the bondage out. It may take somebody else who is seeing it in living color. They're, they're, and they're trying to describe it, trying to say it to you. And, but, but you keep on pushing it off, backing it away, it's not da, 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 and stay in the place stuck. When God has got, there's somebody saying, there's another way, there's another way, there's another way. So, and instead of crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, we keep defending our prison. We keep defending our place of defeat. And that defeat may be an addiction, but as we've said, it can also be being the person supporting that addiction, being the codependent and saying, well, I can't, you know, I can't stand up, I can't not cover for this person because if I do, they're going to lose their job or, or we're not going to be able to eat. You know, for me, it was if he's in a bad mood on Sunday morning, he's not going to preach, you know, and that's, and God's going to be <laughs> mad at me. I had all these reasons why I couldn't change, mm. but th there came a point where it was like the Lord in brokenness, I needed to change. And it didn't matter if he ever changed or, or not, I needed to change. I couldn't continue in doing what I was doing, which was wrong. And so that can be just as strong as the, the person that we think is the problem. We can be the problem yeah. for yeah. ourselves. Yeah. What else? We wanted to talk a little bit about money and finances because that's a place where couples struggle too, uh, very much so. And when we overcommit ourselves to all those easy payments and they add up to something that's not easy anymore, it becomes such a strain on a marriage. And it's a, it's a tremendous strain on a marriage. The scripture says in uh, Proverbs 22, seven, the borrower is the slave to the lender. And uh, essentially, when we get so far in a debt, as David was talking about us being two of one flesh, all of a sudden we've invited this third party into our marriage. Mm. And so we need to take very seriously uh, what we do with our finances and where we get ourselves over committed. And if we've done so as a couple, then we need to prayerfully look at how we get out of it. You're not bigger than um, the weight of that. And so your marriage is, should be more important than having that fancy car or... or mm. Less is more. Less is more, 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 less is more. Okay, go continue Well, no, and the other thing I would say about that is a lot of times it's not the couple, but it's one or the other, and we hide it from our spouse, what we're spending. And I've been guilty of doing this as well, so that's why I'm bringing it up. But you you know, when we hide something we bought from someone else, you know what we're really trying to do? We're trying to hide it from ourselves. If, if we can't bring it into the light, it's because we know in our heart that it's probably not the right thing to begin with. So the, my challenge, if, if the three challenges I would have today would be for the addict to come into the light, uh, to quit denying that what you're doing isn't affecting other people because it's, it is, it's affecting you, it's, but it's affecting your marriage and it's killing your marriage. And uh, I'm not one who believes that a, the other person has to stay in that situation be, because of, uh, go ahead, a vow they made, that that vow meant that I stay in something that's destructive in, that indefinitely. There, that there, can be, there, there can be a separation, a season of separation, where it's just, this isn't, you know, we, we don't, when folks come in to talk to us about them and their marriage struggles, we, we're not immediately rushing out and trying to give them all the reasons why you should separate or why you should divorce. The scripture just says God hates separation, God hates divorce. That is, that is the word, that is, that is, that is, his, that is his heart. He, he, he knows what that does. There, there are seasons where it can be more painful more dangerous, more, um, the bondage just increases the potential for hurt for, for there to be the staying in the physical arrangement 
Whereas it just may be the better thing to do to move out, to be separated from that situation, to give the Lord time to work some things out and, and to do a work in both, in both hearts. Well, and usually chances are if you're in an addictive relationship uh, where there's an addiction, there's a lot that's not right in you. And that lot that's not right in you is what's made this work thus far. Uh, and so if you were to just like get a divorce there, you're probably going to end up with the same person with a different face and a different last name over here because you've not learned the lessons that you were supposed to be learning from the Lord. Um, so, so it's very vital that, that in the midst of your situation, you start learning how to change. You change. Um, by the crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Help, help me to see, help me to, help, help me to, by your power, help me to appropriate your power to be changed, to be, to be different from, from the inside, from the inside out. You see, it may also be that, that the absence or the loss of something can be the very thing that jolts this other one who, who's struggling with something but not really thinking it's that big of a deal to, to realize that, that this, this is actually costing me. But as long as it's enabled, as long as everything's fine, he or she gets to carry right on doing what she's always been doing, then there's no sense of loss. But when, when there really is a, you know, the, the, but Lord, I'm, I'm asking you to direct my steps. God hates separation. God hates divorce. Yes, he does. But his heart is for healing. His heart is for recovery. And, and in the extreme cases, there can be times when just from a safety standpoint, standpoint it can be the right thing for there to be some distance in the couple for that, for that period of time. Now, again, that's believing that God's able. God can do whatever he chooses to do, and he can do it, he can do it overnight. I, I, you know, I, I remember Pravis told this story again the last couple of days, but a, but a, a man who had, who had left his, his, his wife with a young daughter and you know, was moved in with a, with, a, with a woman in another city, and, and the, the, the young mother was, was, had just come to know the Lord herself, and, and, but she was reading in the Bible, and, and she show, was sharing this with us. God, God hates separation and divorce, so I'm, I'm just praying God will bring, will bring and call him by her husband back, that he'll, even though I know what he's doing and I know where he is, but I can't bring him back. But, but if God wants our marriage to work, God can bring him back. And so one night late, she called in tears, and he, he was gone, and he was there, and no, no sign of him ever coming back. And the Lord just put on our hearts over the phone, the three of us on the phone, uh, on the phone talking, that, Lord, will you just, this has been after an extended period of time of her struggling and her heart being broken. God, would you just put the fear of God in this husband's life? And, 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 and scare the hell out of him, show him what he's doing, where he's headed, and bring him home. Bring him first back to you, and then in your mercy, would you bring him back to, back to his, his family? I put the phone down. That was about 11 o'clock that night when we got off the phone with her. The next morning at about 6.30 a.m., and this man would stand before you, and he would tell you this story. He said, I heard, I heard a voice and the voice said to me out of the complete dark night, woke me up, this is the voice I heard, stay here and die or go home and live. He got up out of the bed from the woman he was, he was with, starting to get his clothes on, turn the light on, he told her, I'm going home and you can have the car, you can have this, you can have this, you can have this, but I'm going home walked out of there, slammed the door, drove back to San Antonio, and that's 30 years later he's been faithful to his wife. Now listen, don't, don't be, and I'm saying that, don't be thinking that, that, that God is no bigger than you or I are, that God is just a human. He ain't a human. He, he is everywhere at the same time, and nobody can keep him out. And he has the ability to speak and he has the ability to shine light, and he has the ability to rescue where there is no human instrumentality involved. He can just do it. We believe that. We know that. And that marriage has been rescued. And they, you know, just, uh, they're, they're dear friends of ours. And, and just but an amazing story of how close to total destruction it was. You, you may feel that there's something like that, that, that even in a similar way might be what's going on with you and in your marriage. But there, as long as there is God, 
As long as there is God, there is hope. And if you are the one crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us, have mercy on me, then you're opening your, your, your part of this earth to heaven's resources and heaven's power and heaven's light. And it may not be that the knucklehead has got it yet, has seen it yet, but that doesn't mean that what's going on with this, this other part of the union is going to forfeit what God wants to do and can do in you. Amen. Amen. And, and then it's amazing how as the change shifts here, some, so often that spills over into a change back this way. Okay, I, I want to, did you have anything else you wanted to, you wanted to say? I, I want to leave you with, with, a couple of, with a couple of questions just to, be, just to think about as, as couples, um, as you uh, have roast preacher and wife for, for <laughs> lunch today, um, blame it on us. But um, to, to help, if you'll just ask the Lord to give you courage to step into this. Throw, no, no phones allowed at this point. You know, put the phones, throw them, throw them in the toilet, but get, get away from phones. and interact. It's just the two of you. And, and, and ask, ask this question of each other. How important do you think that you are to me? How important do you think, do you think that you are to me? Now, if we're talking about a husband cherishing his wife, to, to cherish something means that you are proud of it, you will protect it, you will provide whatever maintenance is necessary to keep it in excellent condition. Cherish. How important or how cherished do you feel like you are to me? And then the follow-up part could be, why do you say that? What makes you feel that way? Now, I'm not, that's not just for, for husbands to ask wives. Wives, please ask your husband that and let him tell you that. Let him, let him give you the answer. Now, the, the great thing about that is if you're friends, if you are friends, not just lovers, not just you know, not just a business relationship, not just an LLC or a DBA. If you're married, that's all your marriage is, then oh my goodness, you know. But if you're friends, if it started out with you as, as friends, and you ask that question, how important do you feel like you are to me? A friend will want to know the truth. A friend will want to know the answer. And a friend will want to do whatever he can do or she can do to fix that, to, to, to improve that. The second question is this. The first one is, how important do you think you are to me? The second question is, when do you feel the most loved by me? When do you feel, now do you see how touchy-feely this is? It, 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 it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't work for you to say, well, you know, I, it doesn't really matter how you feel about um, feeling love from me. I mean, I love you and that's just the way it is. That's an idiot talking. That's an idiot talking. It absolutely matters how she feels or how he feels about how you feel toward them or toward her. Otherwise, it's a doing business as or a limited liability corporation. There is no romance. There is, there is not even friendship at that point. But friends are going to want to know Lovers in the further sense of the word, 
are gonna wanna know. They're gonna wanna get that language. They're gonna wanna know that. When do you feel the most loved by me? And the catch is, most of the time, how he or she feels loved is not going to be the same as how you feel loved. The, and I, I recommend this book and, and do it next to the Scripture, next to the Bible, the passages in Ephesians and First Peter and all the places in the Scripture where marriage and relationships are addressed of that order. I recommend across the board, categorically, regardless of how old folks are when they're getting married or whether it's a second time to get married or third time to get married, this book by Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages, The Five Love Languages. You, you can Amazon that, you can get it somewhere, but just blame it on the preacher. Send it to your kids and blame it on the preacher. The preacher said this is a good book about marriage, but mainly get it for yourself. The, the subtitle for it is The Secret to Love That Lasts. The secret to love that lasts. His idea is, is and, I, and, he's, and he's right on, there may be more love language than this, but he lists five. Quality time, acts of service, physical affection, words of affirmation, and gifts. You want to know what her two are? It's the first two I listed. Quality time and acts of service. I don't ever have to say the words, I love you. I don't have to ever go buy her a box of Valentine candy or a, or a bunch of roses to sit on the table. If I did those things, but the garbage hadn't been taken out and, and the front yard hadn't been mowed, it wouldn't matter how, what kind of wad of 400 roses I've got on the kitchen table. All she sees is the grass growing over the sidewalk out there. Now, that used to just irritate me, just make me mad. <laughs> then, because I still feel a tinge of irritation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, but, but mine would be, I'm more the physical affection, words of affirmation. If, I, I don't care if the sink is full of dishes. I don't care if stuff hadn't been, vacuum hadn't run in a month. But if I come home and she greets me and, and wants to hug me or go, go sit down on the couch, kiss me on the cheek, man, I... I, I the world is amazing. The birds are singing and the sky is blue and I don't care about that all other stuff. But that's my love language. That's not her love language. So when I can come and try to want to get touchy-feely with her and, and she's... I'm exhausted because I scrubbed the floor and I cleaned out his closet and I ironed all his shirts. And I hadn't that noticed I was it. loving him. I hadn't even seen it. I hadn't even noticed it. And I say, honey, not tonight. I ironed all your shirts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but now listen, you, you can be looking up here and saying, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. For you to say that's the stupidest thing you ever heard, I'm not supposed to say stupid from the pulpit. I was told by certain parents, but I mean, that's just dumb, D-U-M-B, dumb. There is a way to learn how to give each other what each other wants. And needs. And needs. And if they don't find it here, they're going to be looking for it somewhere else. If you want to close your gap, the gap in your marriage for a third party, for a third party from work or third party from whatever, you want to close the gap, then you become an expert on finding out what his love language is, what her love languages are, and then you, keep, you be talking that to each other and being that to each other. I have watched over the years marriages that were just at the, pr at the brink of, of coming apart. They, did, they were so dry, so dead. Just didn't come in, couples come, come in, have been married 35 years, and she would sit there on one end of the couch, he'd sit on the other, and, and she would say, I just don't feel like he loves me. I just don't feel like he loves me. I just don't feel loved. To which he says, I bought you two Lexi, two Lexuses every other year. Look at the house we live in. Look at the mink coat. Look at the trips we've been on. And she's saying, but I never felt loved. It's because his love language is gifts, giving of gifts. And, give, and her, her love language is something else. He's trying to express to her Love in the way that he gets it and sees it, and she's not getting it. The, the, the point is, the point is, if you sit there and say, well, 
I'm going to just start waiting until he, he loves me or she loves me in my love language. I'm going to just see if she can catch on. Good luck, Jack. Good luck. Or you can be smart and you can ask her this question and, be, and don't fall on the floor when she answers you. When do you feel the most loved by me? And give her time to, and listen, you're not going to rewire her. <laughs> you are not going to change his love language. You're not going to change her love language. It's not that one's right and the other's wrong. They're all right. They're all possibilities. They're all right. Learn it. Learn how to speak it. You give and it shall be given unto you in return. You reap what you sow. If you're giving, there'll be a return. And she will, you know, I, I can, if I've, I've learned it by this, I don't need to come in there with my, you know, looking for a hug, you know, or looking for an attaboy. I need to come in the cotton picking house looking for where is there something to pick up? Where is there something to haul out? Where is there something I can say I'm going to get that done in the morning? It's Friday, Saturday morning. You just wait. You see what this yard looks like. Then I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I've all of a sudden become the most handsome man. What are you doing? I'm just giving you a hug. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. But see, I'm telling you, you just, you just talk about it. And it just, <laughs> but what that's saying is, what that's saying is, I cherish you. You are valuable to me. I want you to be happy and to feel loved, to feel it, to feel loved. That'll that old statement, I said I loved her when I married her, and I'd, I'll let her know if it ever changes. Well, I, you know, just, 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 just dry, dry as South Texas is about now. Just, it needs a good rain. Your, your, your marriage, your heart, your marriage needs a good rain. And the good rain can be the life, the love of the Spirit of God flowing through you, not to what she gives to you, to you or he gives you, but, but, but this way. You water her heart in the way that she's going to receive watering, and you just watch, sir, what will come back at you. I double dog dare you just to try that. I don't get, we don't get a thing. We don't have any royalties tied to Chapman's book. But over the years, you know, no telling how many hundreds, if not thousands of those have, have, have been, been sold simply because we just said, read this, read this. It's written for married couples. And if you, if you, want, if you want the love to flourish, the felt love to flourish in your, in your relationship, then start speaking each other's love language. And, and you identify, and I, I think this is the way you, how, when do you feel the most loved by me? When do you feel the most loved by me?